You're very welcome to Folklore Fragments, the podcast in the National Folklore Collection here in University College Dublin. I'm Johnny Dillon. I'm still Claire Doohan. Good, good. And we shall be your obliging hosts over the next hour, so stay with us as we traverse and explore some of the stranger aspects of our folk tradition and cultural heritage. Now, the subject of today's podcast, if you can guess, dear listeners, orbits the Earth in a prograde direction. It influences the rising and falling of our oceanic tides. It is floating almost 240,000 uh, miles from Earth. It's plainly visible in the night sky, and it's approximately 4.6 billion years old. That's right, you might have guessed correctly today we're talking about Marxism. Yes. <laughs> we're not. Uh, I jest where we'll avoid all considerations of dialectical materialism, thank God, in this episode, focusing our attentions instead on traditions regarding another lifeless body of higher now, namely our own moon. I feel kind of bad for referring to the moon as a lifeless body. It is yeah, a bit harsh. It is slightly harsh. But we'll, it actually will tie in with what we're talking about. It will, in a sense, actually. Yeah. And habitation of the moon and whatnot. Now, in the course of our explorations today, we shall consider the moon and its various reputed inhabitants, from thieves to doomed spirits to a pair of kidnapped children from Norse mythology. And we'll further consider the moon and its maddening effects on the behaviour of humans, and consider the writings of an eccentric 19th century reverend who was so intrigued by the moon that he spoke of it as having created more merriment, more marvel, and more mystery than all of the other orbs taken together. Is this Reverend Harley? This is the good Reverend Harley, yes. My new, my new his, favourite. his fondness for um, cosmic orbs. Um, so, do you want to set out some of the, I set the order the, of the... The agenda. The agenda, as it were. Perfect. Hello, folks. So what we'll start off with is the idea of the moon in antiquity and the days of the week and the role it would have played in the lives of those who came before us. Then we'll jump into the folk custom in general and how it's important to frame these ideas in a broader sense because it's very easy to dismiss them in kind of our modern environment where we're kind of marching towards progress always and forgetting these older methods. So we think, so, so we would we like think, to think. Exactly, yeah. but we're here to prove them wrong, Jimmy. Exactly. Um, so it's important to really to understand this in a broader context, in a broader European context, an international context and historical context to see the role it played in the past and what role, if any, it plays today. Then we'll look at the moon and impact on human affairs, which is a huge... We've gone down the rabbit hole here, oh, Johnny, totally. haven't we? For the last yeah. month we've been, yeah. ask us anything about <laughs> yeah. the moon. It's going to be our new pub quiz um, topic of choice. So we're going to do moon and the impact on human affairs, where we look at what's thought lucky about the phases of the moon, how it guides the decisions people make in the course of their working lives, kind of on the farm, planting, weeding, butchery, dealing with livestock, luck, health, birth, death, etc. Then we'll move on to the moon as a place of habitation, which is hugely interesting, and how our ancestors and those in antiquity would have looked at it. And then we'll finish up with a treat from the archive, as we always do. Actually, and it's worth mentioning as well that this topic has been chosen because on the day of our releasing this particular episode, there happens to be a supermoon, which is also a new moon. Mm -hmm. Particularly uh, auspicious time to Mm -hmm. begin new endeavours, as we shall see. It's true. Some of the material that we'll be looking at, it's worth kind of considering, I suppose, this body of folk tradition that exists to consider it as something that's kind of essential to, to human experience or, to, or, or mm. to, to our ancestors, to our forebears. But the, the, often the kind of the, the, the thinking that goes into it is quite kind of disprivileged, say, in a modern context, or it's, it's viewed as kind of, in public discourse at least, as being kind of bygone relic or some inferior age, something that's kind of cast off as humanity marches ever onward towards this kind of, as you were mentioning, this kind of notion of a mythic, yeah. let's say, idea of progress, basically. Um, but I suppose the kind of the beliefs and the folk customs that we're looking at they're analogous to the scientific method. This is what the great, late great Sean O'Sullivan said, and that these things kind of aim to examine the forces in the natural world that impact upon human affairs. So they look at the natural world and they look at, uh, look to the heavens and they look at these kind of, um, with, with a certain kind of dramatic or imaginative aspect to them, basically. Yeah. But this is kind of done with reference to emotional uh, reasoning or emotion and symbolism or ideas of essence or opposites or likeness or a general kind of dramatic and imaginative interpretation of the world around us. So the beliefs and customs that we'll set out here and we'll display before you in this episode are part of a kind of system of reasoning, but one which isn't based purely on kind of on, on kind of cold logic and rationale, but it's based on symbolism more some sort of ideas of the transcendent and the other world and this sort of stuff. And folk custom, basically, I suppose, it should be considered as, as a thing for people to, to kind of bring away from this, at least, that 
it's something that's essential to human affairs, or it's viewed as being kind of uh, essentially important in protecting humans in a certain way. But it tries to answer the meaning of being. It tries to answer the why of being, as opposed to the what of being, in mm. a sense. It looks for meaning in the natural world around us, as opposed to the, maybe just the scientific method, which just describes material processes. Whereas this material, and folk custom and folk tradition in this sense, tries to, to answer the why, the kind of meaning behind it. Which makes sense to me in what we've been reading as well, because if you're thinking of these, whether it's kind of going back into antiquity, the Greeks, the Romans, um, they're living in a world where the world is unexplored. We know mm. what the map of the world looks like now. We know what's in the northern hemisphere, the southern hemisphere. We know what's beyond the horizon. But we're thinking about a time when we were beginning this discussion of when there was a great deal of the unknown. And so it makes sense that they had to use what resources they had there yes, available indeed. to them. Yeah. So now, of course, the Greeks and the Romans were hugely advanced in their thinking, but for those more primitive tribes, for example, it's going to make sense that they're going to use the landscape, that mm. they're going to use what they see in the sky mm. to try and make some sense of you know, the measurement of time, the passing of their lives. Yeah. So it ties it's, in. It's a, It's one of. The, I mean, even if you consider, I suppose, the, the idea of the measurement of time by observing the heavens, obviously, which is something that's still done kind of today with great detail and depth and precision and so on. But that has that is a particularly um, old kind of idea. Even look at look at the likes of Newgrange or various kind yeah. of stone circles and so on that that respond to the solstices and so on and so forth. Um, but the idea of of the measurement of time by viewing the moon, kind of breaking into these different phases, is particularly is particularly uh, old, and we can see it even like as part again. You know, we're talking about going down the rabbit hole with this podcast. As at the start, we're trying to kind of uh, gather material from the archive here relating to the moon and folk tradition. One thing begins to lead to another, and all of a sudden, it's kind of looking at the names and origins of days in the week, which is a strange even thing to consider. But I wouldn't think, but that the heavens feature quite heavily in our naming of the days of the week, basically. Okay. Um, so, say even I suppose when we consider the splitting up of the week into a seven-day period was something that the ancient Romans did, and they named each day of the week after one of what were called the, the sacred seven luminaries, or the seven naked-eye planets, and they use the word planets in the sense of kind of wanderers, so not strictly speaking planets. But these are the Moon, Mercury, Venus, the Sun, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. And so each day of the week was in turn was named after one of the seven he- heavenly bodies which was seen to rule over it. So each each particular day had had a um, a particular planet associated with it. Um, so Sunday obviously is associated with the sun. Moon day is associated with, with the moon. Then we have little, like similarly an Irish day Luan. Oh, the Luan Luna. Um, Tuesday is for Mars, and that was later dedicated to Tyr, who was a Germanic uh, pagan, a god of law and glory. That then this this is kind of comes known as Interpretatio Germanica, where the Germans and the German tribes readapt the Roman naming of days after gods that represent heavenly bodies, but they call them by their own gods. Okay. So uh, so we have in Irish, for example, De Mort, after Mars, still you can see that, that kind of reference. But in, in kind of the Germanic system, I suppose, it's dedicated to God Tyr, and then in English now we have, that reflects itself as Tuesday. Uh, so you see that kind of connection through again. For the Romans, then Wednesday was named after Merc- uh, Mercury, so we have Mercredi in French. Then Thursday was dedicated to Jupiter or to Zeus. And then that later on was turned to Thor's Day, again, by our friends in the Germanic tribes. Then the fifth day of the week, the Roman conception was ascribed to Venus. And this, in Europe, became associated with the goddess Freya. And so that becomes then Friday. And then Saturday is Saturn. And then we're back to, to Sunday. Then in Irish, so you can see that we have uh, Didonig is Sunday from Dia Dominica, or the Lord's Day. So you see aspects of kind of Christian tradition coming into it as well. Then de Lune, like I mentioned, after the moon, Luna. De Mort is for Mars. And then we have strange things as well that show the Christian tradition or Christianization um, of, and certain kind of church practices and how they manifest in the names of days of the week. So we have uh, Decathing, Wednesday in Irish means first fast, and Dehina means day of fasting, and Derdeen, or Thursday, means day between two fasts, or day idrachain, so Derdeen. So the measurement of time through observance of the heavens is of considerable antiquity. Uh, as is the notion then that time corresponds to certain meanings. So this is even something you'd see in the zodiac, that certain months are ruled over by certain tendencies, that certain days are ruled over by certain deities with certain tendencies. Uh, but it shows as well, this is something we were saying yesterday, it shows all you need to do is recite the names of the days in the week in a few different languages, in Irish, in English, in French, in German, whatever. Uh, and straight away you will be shown thousands of years of religious tradition, yeah. pagan and Christian, uh, straight away. In no time flat, that also references the heavens, gods that they represented, 
uh, how they were later reinterpreted by Germanic tribes. I mean, you could say to someone, oh, what, you know, what do you know of, of uh, the, the German um, uh, god of glory, tears? Uh, nothing. But yet, one of our days of the week is, is essentially named after him. You start digging into Exactly, yeah. As is Friday after Freya or Thor's Day and so on and so forth. This really is the pop quiz podcast. We're going to win every pop quiz <laughs> from, from now on, yeah. Our fortunes um, are made, Johnny. But yeah, this idea of the measurement of time and the and the, 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 the measurement of time through an observance of the heavens is of, of, of great antiquity. And not just kind of, again, in a materialist sense where you're just coldly observing things as they pass, mm-hmm. but also imbuing those periods with a certain meaning. Yeah. And so um, so we have obviously then Sunday and then we're concerned with, with Moon Day, with Monday, with mm-hmm. Day Lune, with Luna and, and the effects of that of that heavenly body uh, on on human affairs in many ways and many of the considerations that we move to look at now often focus on what happens on earth here when the moon is waxing what happens when it's waning and this idea of again to go back to folk custom and the, the reasoning behind it the idea that um i suppose the effects of the natural world or when the natural world is 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 kind of um expressing itself in a certain way that that will have an impact on human affairs that are seemingly unrelated but the idea is that these things are kind of connected but we'll look at it in greater detail. Yeah, it'll, it'll become clear as we go through examples, hopes. I yeah. think. Yeah. yeah, because I think, as we were saying, we're so unfamiliar with having to have this knowledge now because I don't know about you, but I don't, you know, have a, a farm of crops that I'm caring for each day, so I don't need to know about the phases of the moon necessarily mm. in my day-to-day life. So to me, some of this was really interesting, even though coming from kind of a rural background, um, we just don't need to know this in our daily lives, so it will become clear as we go through examples what it is that we mean when we say it's a good time for planting in the dark of the moon, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. So it will become clear. Mm-hmm. Stay tuned, folks. Don't switch off just yet. Yes, it's going to be. We hope really interesting. We hope so indeed. And so, like I was saying, when we're putting this podcast, this episode out to coincide with the new moon, which is also a super moon, it's a particularly kind of auspicious time. One of the most common things that you see is that when the new moon reappears in the sky, when that little kind of sliver of a crescent reappears, that it's to be greeted. Basically, this is one of the most common things that you see, uh, and time and again, it must be the most common kind of greeting that you see. Um, in the manuscripts and elsewhere and in, in literary sources mm-hmm. um, is the little rhyme I see the moon and the moon sees me God bless the moon and God bless me which is lovely because we've, we've found this time and time again in the manuscripts and in the school's collection and during the month when we've been reading various articles we've seen it referenced it's, it's quite an old mm. little prayer it and it's lovely to see that it's actually kind of survived in oral tradition because we've got it in the school's collection say 1937 and 39. And then we were chatting about it yesterday, mm. and you remember it from when you were a kid. Yeah, I still and say it. I you're old, but you're not that old, Johnny. No, I still say it. I'm Which is lovely, moon. isn't it? You can see it. that link. I have a reference now here. You'll hear kind of authoritative shuffling of papers as I try to find out where it is. Um, but just to kind of mention that notion of, of greeting the moon mm. um, and, and saying this kind of prayer to it. Where are we now? I have a piece that, that describes it. So here's... Um, from the 1937 from the manuscripts from the school's collection from County Meath this is a young girl Theresa Morris and she's writing down Lore of the Moon and she says it is not lucky to see a new moon for the first time through glass which we'll also look at you're meant to see it out in the open air for the first time and if you turn money in your pocket when you see it your purse will never be empty during the following month and if the new moon has the old one in its arms, it's a sign of bad weather. And what that means is if you see the new crescent of the moon just arrived in, but you can also make the dim outline of the whole moon. I see. It's the idea is that it's the, the new moon holding the old moon in its arms. Which is a portent of doom, Claire. Oh, so and we don't want to be seeing it. No, we don't want to see the new right. moon in the, in the old moon's arms. Um, so when a person sees the new moon for the first time, they make the sign of the cross and they say the following. And they, they will then have good luck. Um, which while the moon holds and they say, I see the new moon, the new moon sees me. God bless the new moon and God bless me. So that was from Teresa Morris, who was 13 years old, May 18th, 1938. And yes, okay, so that's 1938. And then we have William Camden and his text, Britannia, um, where he talks about the customs and manners of the Irishry. He says some hilarious things about them, but um, they they warble with their nimble fingers, they warble on on their lyres and harps, and that they eat, they're prone to eating shamroots, Shamrocks. Uh, shamrocks, yeah. He wouldn't have been an ambassador for us, would he? He would not. But he says, um, when talking about the moon, he says, I cannot tell whether the wilder sort of Irishry, this is in 1586, by the way, I cannot tell whether the wilder sort of Irishry yield divine honour unto the moon. For when they see her first after the change, 
Commonly, they bow the knee and say over the Lord's Prayer. And so, soon as they have made an end, they speak unto the moon with a loud voice in this manner. And they say, Leave us as whole and sound as thou hast found us. So it's a kind of common, a common notion to greet the moon with prayer, uh, but also with a certain amount of uh, fear, trepidation, mm-hmm. a sense of like, please leave us as you have, you know, don't. Um, and this is true across the world, because even in the readings we've been doing, we've been seeing Native American tribes, and we've been seeing in China, in Hindu, Polynesia, Hindu, the Hindu yeah, tradition. Yeah, yeah. Which it's, is, of course, so closely linked to Indo-European and European heritage. Absolutely. It's the same streak kind of coming through as well. Um, so us speaking about this, um, we could easily have colleagues sitting with us and nodding in agreement. Yes. Saying, oh, we have that, we have yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's part, as we'll come to see as well, and some of the figures and the habitations and their place in the moon, it's, it's, a, it's part of a broad uh, kind of international context in the European tradition, in the Indo-European tradition. Um, but again, it shows, it goes to show, which is something we were discussing yesterday, the little varying details from place to place. They show the living nature of folk tradition, how mm-hmm. it, it kind of... An overall theme will be expressed over a large area, and yet it'll reflect the specific local environment, very kind of particularly in a certain way. Um, and one point I was going to say at the very beginning, um, but I think it's, I just find it interesting. I can't explain why it is as it is. They haven't given an explanation, but we did have a gentleman in our main manuscript collection from County Wexford who was saying that it was thought unlucky for women to talk about the moon. Hmm. So I'm really taking my life in my hands. You see, this is, yeah, well, indeed. This is one of the strange things as well. And one of the things actually that I did notice in, in kind of organising material for this is that you get a lot of references in the primary sources to the moon, but it, it's, a, a lot of them often would just be little snatches like that. Mm, little yeah. kind of, uh, and often, oftentimes it even shows a certain sense that some of these beliefs have maybe become so detached from any kind of, they're just being, kind of replicated by customary example and they're quite dramatic and simple to do but it's just it's not known anymore why this is the case they're just yes. kind of being being repeated yeah. yet however specific say taboos or prohibitions on, on certain um, genders in regards certain work or whatever it's got a common thing in folk tradition and another aspect we can look at the moon is the moon and its its gender how it's personified mm-hmm. as male where it's personified as female or its influence over males or its influence over over females and even the whole, again, we were mentioning the connection between menses, menstruation, month, moon, all means yeah, to, to measure, cool. again, so the sense of time, um, and the connections with femininity and masculinity and so on, and the moon and the sun and all these sorts of things, in a, in a kind of, um, in quite a deep sense, I suppose, they have these symbolic aspects to them, which in some instances, maybe these kind of things draw a connection to, or find ex- expression as certain taboos. Um, but then when you just read these kind of very brief satches and information in the manuscript. Yeah, without it's, context, it's quite hard, isn't it? It is, to kind of to derive any... And you could look at things that are just similar, of course, and say, oh, this is clearly kind of... Um, what was it? Valencia's kind of... Oh, it's a savour of, of, of paganism that's yeah. kind of coming out. But actually, it's, it's much more complicated, I suppose, to know, really. Um, and we'll kind of come to that idea of gender shortly when we talk about the man and the moon and the personification of the moon, as you said. Because it's fascinating that most, it is a man in the moon, that is not a woman in the moon. Mm. It's very rare that you would hear a woman of the moon. So this idea of gender, um, if someone had told me, so Claire, when you're speaking about the moon, gender will um, form a large part of what you're speaking Strange, about. Isn't it? I would have been like, mm, yeah. will it? It's, yeah, you it's, know, it's but it is, it, it, it is. forms part of it. Um, and it was seen, I guess, uh, yeah, to have, to have a pronounced impact overall on human affairs, basically. And people would try and match... Um, the work that they would do to the phases of the moon in many ways. I'll play before we go on. This is a very brief piece from uh, Doreen Collins in Bray, and it was recorded in County Wicklow. Uh, and this was recorded in 1979. And she's just discussing, She's well, she, it's, she very briefly mentions uh, the fact of the new moon and it being unlucky to view through glass. Um, there are some uh, beliefs about the new moon as well. Well, if you saw, when you see the new moon, you immediately turn whatever money you have in your pocket for luck. And if you see it through glass, it's very unlucky. That's, uh... The new, the moon, new moon, the first quarter. Like, if you see it through glass. That's, uh, if you've already been out, though, and have seen it, does it matter? Oh, no, it's if you see Sorry, it for the first, the first time. time. 
you always have this idea of unlucky to see it through glass, mm. through a window, over your left shoulder. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting how these ideas that come was up. Another, yeah, they're the common if you see it over your left shoulder. But again, you know, there are quite old ideas about left and right, mm. sunwise, anti-sunwise, clockwise, anti-clockwise, that which is sinister on the left, mm. uh, that which kind of goes against nature. Um, as opposed, like you should never pass a drink anti-clockwise. It should always go sunwise around the table because to do otherwise is, is kind of bad. Why would luck. you be passing drink away from yourself, Johnny? Well, if you're passing it to one of your friends <laughs> okay. uh, at in a local imbibery uh, okay. or such or a bottle, as it were. Okay. Yes. That makes why sense. would you be passing your own drink around? That would just be uh, perverse. <laughs> if you're passing a bottle, a bottle around, it should be passed sunwise. That's for listeners to avoid disaster. Perfect. Uh, and embarrassment, um, indeed. Well, I know to do it counterclockwise. Oh. Terrible, yeah. Well, could you show your face again? No, probably not. Not in any good standing or decency, <laughs> at least. But um, but many of those ideas relate to, to, yeah, to, to do, I suppose, to try and model your behaviour to reflect that which is occurring in nature. Mm. And so at a very basic level, that which follows the arc of the heavens, even to go to the right with things. Um, and that ties in nicely with the um what we're going to speak about now actually might be a nice time to go with the planting the weeding the mm. gelding the castrating mm-hmm. working with livestock should we yeah. jump into that let's um the idea i suppose that crops should be set at a certain time a certain phase of the moon and that the moon had an impact over uh, not just human affairs but but those kind of of an agricultural uh, situation as well so mm. farmers would often uh, sow their crops when the moon was uh, past being full and it was kind of starting to wane basically mm. um, and I mean often it was taken as, as very good luck to do anything to have any new undertaking to do so at, at the new moon mm. uh, because by virtue of the moon's waxing and growing to its fullness so symbolically or similarly would your new endeavor also grow to its fullness Absolutely. but on the other hand if you were to say undertake a new beginning um, when the moon was at its height and the full moon and now it's in a process of waning then similarly uh, all of your good efforts will, will, be, come, will come to nothing because the earth and the world the cosmos is in a natural waning phase so in a kind of magical way of magical thinking or symbolic kind of reasoning uh, when, when the moon is coming in then it's, it's, a, it's a beneficial time for you to engage in, in new labours because you'll receive the maximum reward and yet when it's doing the opposite, you should, you should not undertake those. I remember chatting to a farmer, a Leitrim man, a farmer here in the archive one, one afternoon who said that he would only uh, kill his livestock and, and the older people in the area as well. They'd only bleed out, sorry, their pigs on a new moon. And his idea was that if they did, that the meat would kind of fatten, basically, that, that they'd get more for their return. But uh, if they did it at a full moon, they, they wouldn't. So it's this kind of strange uh, idea that, that these processes are, are connected. And it, it's funny because it crosses over into many other aspects so you see ideas of um cutting hair at the new moon mm. means that it'll go grow stronger mm-hmm. um what else do they do there is cutting of hair the cutting of nails and um, cutting of corns because you've got cutting corns yeah i know lovely yeah, yeah um because in there's a line someone says from ulysses even where james joyce who was a modernist and trying to move away from these ideas of you know the Yeatsy and romantic folklore themes. You were no Ulysses. Oh, um, oh he Joyce. was yes, terrible, terrible thing to do. No, we don't want to move away. Why? No, Why no, no. You? So um, in Ulysses, actually, he he was so knowledgeable about this folk tradition, despite what he said. Um, he speaks about a woman who was cutting her hair in the new moon. Even just to reference that in one of the great works of literature, his awareness of this. Mm. Um, the popular tradition. That popular tradition yeah. of cutting hair in the new moon to make it stronger and well, more um, lustrous. This woman and her inclinations, uh, she's obviously high-born because there's a quote here from Pliny, AD 77, so 2,000 years ago, basically. And he says, The emperor Tiberius used to observe the changes of the moon for cutting his hair. Mm. Which is fair, I think. Well, why? I meant emperor Tiberius. Uh, so that's, again, you have like 2,000 years spanning between those yeah. two customs. And it's something to say that it's, it's not kind of considerably older than that, you know, Absolutely. Um, as well. Um, but yeah, crops as well were, kind of, were, were, were often sown at this period as well. And should we say something about the, the zodiac, which, just very briefly for the sake yes, of Yes, please, yeah, indeed. It was so interesting when I discovered yeah, I saw, this. Yeah. Um, so the more we were reading about the idea of working with the phases of the moon and being guided by those in your kind of daily activities um, 
on the land, say for example, we came across this idea of farmers having the almanac hanging at the back of the door and the almanac um, showing the phases of the moon, which would guide them. But actually, interestingly enough, from the 15th century onwards, this little picture of a man started appearing in the almanacs as what they call the man of the zodiac or the man of the many signs. Now, we have one here in front of us just so that we know what we're speaking about. But if you Google the man of the zodiac or the man of the signs, and indeed some of you might already be aware of him, you'll see uh, a figure of a man um, and then you'll have corresponding to each part of his body one of the 12 signs of the zodiac. So, for example, you've got Aries um, is pointing towards the head. You've got um, Gemini, a kind of a set of twins, pointing towards the arms. You've got Leo with the lion at the heart and then Pisces, the fish, um, at the, the legs. So you're, kind of, you're moving through the body from head to toe through the zodiac. Hmm. And so you have these really interesting ideas of not only are they being guided by the phases of the moon, but you start seeing them with references to the zodiac as well. So I'll read one. Um, I'll read one as an example. This is from the journal Western Folklore, and you've got the line. Where is it? Folk usage also combines the signs with the moon phases. So we have plant water watermelons on a twin day in April on the last quarter of the moon. Or if butter beans are planted during the light of the moon and in the sign of the twins, you can pick them until frost. So it's basically this idea of um, planting them in the new moon hmm. when the new moon is in Gemini, Gemini being the twins. So it's mm. just this lovely idea. We just thought for the sake of um, giving you a full picture of things to explore if you're interested in this. Um, phases of the moon with regards to the zodiac as well, it actually it's, played a part in yeah. how people would have gone about their daily it's lives. It's so interesting. And it's a thing that often, again, I remember when I first began to become um, obsessed basically, by, by aspects of folk tradition, it's exactly these kinds of things. It's, it's like the fact of suddenly having a certain sense of a kind of revelation. Like, oh, actually, I never knew. Why are the days of the week called that? Yeah. I never even thought about that. Like, why? That's bizarre. And then all of a sudden you look into it and there is an enormous amount of material to, amount. to try and kind of, like I said at the, at the outset, there's kind of thousands of years of, of pagan and Christian tradition to, that can be plainly observed by reciting the days of the week in a few, uh, in three languages or something yeah. like that, which is It's building up insane. a jigsaw, isn't it's, it? It's crazy. Yeah, we only crazy. have the pieces, we just don't see the big picture Often, at all. Often, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll, play, I'll play another piece here from the, from the sound archive. This was collected again in 1979 um, from Martin Junior Crean. Uh, and, and, and Junior Crean, was a, he was a fantastic fiddle player. Uh, but Tom Munleed, uh, who's a, an amazing uh, uh, collector of English language song and, and, and full-time collector here for the, for the folklore collection, um, did a lot of interviews with him. And this is where uh, Junior describes the influence of the moon on crops. But uh, the moon, people just watch the moon for sowing the seeds and they wouldn't sow seeds until the last quarter of the moon. Cabbage seeds are corn because they, they, they'd be up to start. You'd have a big stem coming up on all leaves. And they were very particular about the moon or hatching eggs. If we wanted all cocks, you would hatch them in the strength of the moon. If we wanted hens, the last quarter, before the new moon had come a few days, that would own the clutch. But I remember two old men talking. One man was so attaching the house for the other man. And the poor man, he never went to school, he had no learning. So he took a smoke after finishing the day's work and turned the month of September. And the same year was very fine, a lot of fine weather. So the man of the house came conveying him. When they came out, they looked over, and the moon was rising beyond Moon Callan, and it was as red as blood. Oh, God, says he to the man of the house, Patsy, says he, we're going to get terrible drought. Look at the colour of the moon. Fair tight, so we are, says the man of the house. Well, he was reading the paper the other day, says he, and you know the lint, that moon is away from where we are now. I don't know, says the toucher. Nineteen million and a half a mile, says he. Wish God bless your cracked hits to the other man who ever walked there. <laughs> I love that. It's good, isn't it? The Irish humour can't beat it. Um, but yeah, that's Junior Crean in Bonneville, County Clare, describing the, the impact of the moon on the crops and on the hens as well. 
and, and will, it be, will they be male? Will they be female? Indeed. And the uh, the question of of drought as well. The moon was often was was taken. Well, we we'll look at this when we look at habitation, but it was seen to not just impact the tides, but to kind of hold water or release it, or to take up water or to release it, so that it influenced rain and the crops as well. That it would somehow kind of impact on on um, on how much rainfall that we had. There's another piece here, since we're talking about the almanac, which I'll play briefly, which is also Junior Green. And this time he's talking about the November moon and how it's a little hard to make out in parts, but he's talking about the almanac and how the November moon would kind of presage or betoken um, a, a very long and harsh winter, basically. Um, but he describes how the farmer would get up if the almanac said there would be a new moon at half two in the morning on Thursday, then that's when they'd get up out in the field and they'd, they'd sell their bits so that it kind of corresponded exactly with it. Exactly. But this is, um, again, Junior Crean. This was recorded in 1982. And the November moon. Mm-hmm. Well, the November moon, leave the wind to be there for three months. Well, it was a November moon. The November moon should be, the moon should be born in November. Mm-hmm. Even if it was the last day in November, it was a November moon <coughs> to go in, say, around Christmas. And all people used to get up, they'd have Dalmanic, and there'd no, no moon to aim the 24th of November. They'd get up at 2 o'clock, they'd have the alarm set, and they'd go out to know where was the wind from. They had no John Deal or anything to tell mm-hmm. them the weather that time. And, and uh, I remember it lifted a few good short times to the east. And when you get the weather from the east, you have frost and snow. And to the 1917, it lifted, as we said, towards the castle, Dunorgan Castle, mm-hmm. southeastly. But it started to freeze and snow, and it held until the following March, or April. He actually, it's, it's mad as well to think that he's describing in 1917, 100 years ago, mm. this bad winter that he remembers as a child. But he goes on then to describe saving a curlew who was kind of dying in the ice and snow out in Clare and bringing it to school with them oh. and heating it up and kind of trying to warm it and bring it back to life, which he did. And I was getting all naively kind of set away, like, oh, what a beautiful little story. It's and then, he, and then he, Yeah, exactly, streaming down my face. <laughs> and then he gives it to the teacher and they cook it and eat it. And he's delighted. And then I was like, yeah, that's, yeah, there you are. That's the way things actually are. He's like, I thought he was going to suggest when the teacher says, you know, I think we'll use this for the kind of home economics kind of class or equivalent thereof, you yes. know, to show, you know, this is what you do. No, no, please, you know, don't uh, eat this little bird. Like, yeah, great. And then they eat it. I thought there was going to be a beautiful moment. That's of what I thought. And the kid, it goes to the window and they, they, everyone flies off. Yeah. Warm and fuzzy feelings everywhere. But um, instead, no, it was just a nice lunch and fair play to it, I suppose. Well. But um, that's Junior Cream discussing the, 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 uh, the almanac as well. And it um, might be worth saying when you're talking about the influence of the moon on activity and then on the tides, as we kind of touched on, but also on the human as the very nature of life the bloodstream Mm. because there's this idea of as the moon influences the tides it also influences the the bloodstream which is really interesting because there's a piece i read from it was about an american doctor who started noticing patterns in his patients when he um conducted certain operations that at certain times of the month people would heal more um i suppose more effectively whereas other times they'd often hemorrhage and need to be operated on again. Hmm. And so out of curiosity, he conducted a, a kind of an informal experiment. And all of a sudden, he saw that, was it, um, he did, I think, more than a thousand cases, he says here. And sure enough, 82% of bleeding crises occurred between the moon's first and third quarters, so around that period of the new moon, um, which is fascinating. So now again, science will come in and say... Let's let's readjust our thinking on that. How dare you? But yeah, but isn't it just interesting it is, to see it is. that it's, it's bizarre? That's actually it was regarded as a very dangerous time um, to be cut at. Yeah. That and I'm and I'm just looking for a reference here. I can't I can't put my hand on it, but it it I remember reading that exactly as it described that it influenced not just the tides but also uh, the blood mm-hmm. basically. And I suppose one of the other it leads us guess to one of the other very very common assumptions that you have again with this impact over. Um, uh, 
the human mind that people go crazy at the time of the full moon. I was reading a newspaper article yesterday uh, from uh, some British newspaper describing, although I'd heard it before, of course, that um, that more police officers are deployed in the streets of, of towns and cities uh, in, in Britain and in New York. I heard the same thing on the night of a full moon because there are more in violent con- in incidents. In contemporary reports. In contemporary oh, reports, really? yeah. And because there are more incidents of, of violence. And of course, then you know everyone well knows the idea of the word lunatic being mm. directly related to the moon or whatever. Um, and moonstruck. Moonstruck we is the question. Yeah, children yesterday. become moonstruck and hysterical. You must never sleep um, with moonlight shining on your face because it will send you crazy, or else it'll cause your face to break out in these kind of crazy distortions that will never be undone. Remember, like when you'd be told if you if you make a face and the wind changes. Yes. I remember trying that. I'd be terrified. Like oh, God. <laughs> if the wind changes, you'd be stuck like that. There's a reference here as I'll have to, um, what's this guy, he's describing uh, some of the, the impact of the moon uh, on uh, Oh yes, people. this is His, uh, his artist proactive. friend, somebody with, well, yeah exactly, a proactive approach, and people <laughs> who are listening to perhaps take this. He describes a friend of his and he says, uh, I once knew an unfortunate fellow who regularly went to a mental home a few days before the moon was full, knowing from previous experience that he would not be responsible for his actions at that time. For the rest of the month, he was quite normal and a great artist exhibiting at the Royal Academy. So this is some fellow who decided he'd take matters into his own hands and check himself in um, because he was prone to going um, mad at the time of the full moon. Better be safe than sorry. Better safe than sorry and in good company. But we were seeing yesterday um, a friend of mine who's a teacher and although she doesn't mark it on the calendar, every now and again she will come home and I'll ask her, oh, how was work today? And the first two words out of her mouth would be full moon. Mm. And that's not, you know, she's not basing that on any particular scientific or folklore, um, folklore knowledge, but she will say full moon, yeah. highest kites, they were giddy all day. Well, Isn't yeah. it interesting, though, yeah. that we still have those conceptions in our head? It is, of course. You know? it's, it is, it is. And, um, and indeed, strange that, that then, you know, the local constabulary are deployed in their droves yeah. um, to manhandle and berate the, uh, the inebriated and demented populace. Can I, do you know what I'll read? Um, was I was speaking about the Taylor and Anstey, oh, yes, um, which fantastic. is a wonderful book, which I've just finished. And as a side note, folks, if you're looking for some reading material, please do go and find it. It's The Taylor and Anstey by Eric Cross. It's just a wonderful book. But in it, um, the Taylor, who is one of the main protagonists with his wife, Anastasia or Anstey, Old Buhala, um, he's speaking about one of his very, very dear friends, Jerry Coakley, who sadly has passed away. But when he's describing him, he says the following. When he was young, he had slept out under a May moon, which is one of the most dangerous things any man can do. Any moon is bad, but the May moon is the worst of them all. It always affects a man's brain. It affected my saint in his speech. He would turn words backwards, calling a hotel Tehot. But isn't that interesting? In nine, and that's the 1940s mm-hmm. when the tailor um, is speaking to Eric Cross that that idea yeah. of being outside in the rays moon and the moon's rays, beg your pardon, is unlucky or dangerous. It's dangerous. There's another one here I have from 1621 uh, and it describes the same idea that, that sleeping in moonlight is dangerous. And it says, when, you, when thou goest to thy bed, draw close the curtains to shut out the moonlight, which is very offensive and hurtful to the brain, especially to those that sleep. Which is bizarre. It's the same kind of idea that, that it was caused, um, uh, it was dangerous or that it caused madness. Another instance here uh, from the year 1393, and it says, Lunatic lollers and lepers about are more or less mad according to the moon's phases. And there's this idea basically that the, the stars, another quote, can influence the devils themselves. And certain men who are called lunatics are molested by devils more at one time than another. And the devils would rather molest them at all times unless they themselves were deeply affected by certain phases of the moon. So do that, these kind of spirits are bound by the phases of the moon. But that, particularly at the full moon or in moonlight in general, this will kind of send you crazy. So It's lovely though because in, I saw um, Othello recently and one of the lines is, it is the very error of the moon. She comes more near the earth than mm. she was wont and maketh men mad. Mm. And so, again, time and again, whether it's in folklore or in literature, the moon is always with us. Yes, and, and of course, even, you know, for examples of Shakespeare's and quotes and things, that he'll be drawing on folk tradition, and yeah. these kind of um, old ideas will, will, um, will be absorbed, basically, mm. into, the, into the literary tradition, um, from people like Shakespeare to Yeats to, to Joyce and so on and further. Mm. Um, so be sure to 
have your children and yourself safely locked away out of the moon's dangerous reach. Folklore is just... It, it puts me on edge more than it, anything. No, I'm ter- How are we still alive, yeah, Johnny? Living in a state of absolute terror. <laughs> um, I remember reading another, another instance about um, in the 19th century, these young girls who come upon their aunt and they're giving her a kind of merciless uh, slagging because they find her pointing a little wisp of straw at a wart in her hand and then pointing it at the moon oh. to try and get rid of the wart. And she was mumbling something to the straw, this idea of sympathetic magic that you can kind of take one item and then transfer it to another, basically. Uh, but her poor nieces were giving her a particularly hard time about this and the poor woman was caught pointing at the moon, which is also going to be bad luck. To point at the moon. point at the moon, apparently it's bad luck, yeah. Everything's bad luck, of course. But, right. Um, Tread carefully, folks. But, uh, but yeah, crops, human affairs... Um, Waxing, waning. I guess the the basic idea, in, 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 again, for just to clarify, maybe for people of sympathetic magic, would be the notion that that there's a kind of symbolic relation between mm. events in the natural world and their impact on human affairs yes. or or luck in particular. And so, if you know, you shouldn't uh, get married, say, at a full moon because you know the, the the earth and everything around it is in the process of waning, of going out, of of decreasing. Mm. But your store will increase, and your good luck will increase if you if you engage in a particular endeavour at a point when the earth is in a natural process of, of filling up and waxing, as it were, and waxing yeah. essentially, yeah. Um, and that's that's the kind of this idea of sympathetic uh, magic clarity, that these things are kind of connected in, in some way. And but I it's, think uh, it's probably, there is so much in that alone that it's worth people going and having a bit of a rummage absolutely in the materials and kind of mm. visiting us here in the archive yes indeed because it's it's fascinating you we'll can put, um, we can provide some links and things as well True. In, under the under this this podcast and the sound cloud. and then you too can get lost Ex- yeah, down the rabbit hole exactly yeah um, and should we move on to perhaps the next half of the podcast yeah in terms of the moon as a place of habitation mm. and who perhaps might live there. Who lives there? Well, this is a particularly, again, another particularly interesting idea, the idea is of the, the, that the moon is personified but that it's similarly uh, inhabited. And this is also a particularly ancient idea and is expressed in the myths and folk traditions of a great many nations and races the world over. Uh, one of the instances that we generally see, or one of the kind of common uh, aspects of folk tradition that we see about the moon is that it's in, inhabited by somebody who was banished there for breaking a taboo, basically. And often what we find in, in folk tradition is the idea that it's an individual who profaned the Sabbath, mm. basically. So someone who was out working and in, indulging or engaging in, in hardly indulging in labours, but engaging in certain labours on a Sunday and didn't go to Mass and so on. And so it was promptly sent to the moon to be visible for all as a bad example. Mm-hmm. There are early references in Numbers in the Old Testament to Moses uh, coming upon a man who's out gathering sticks on the Sabbath. Um, and it's thought that perhaps that early kind of reference then in later Christian tradition becomes melded in uh, to aspects of folklore. This this kind of uh, biblical scene becomes referenced as the, the, the now becomes the man in the moon, basically. And but there are earlier pre-Christian kind of uh, examples of that. And also in numbers, he just gets stoned to death. He, mm-hmm. he doesn't get uh, sent to the moon as such. But but this is a common idea that we see in folk tradition later that, that, uh, that somebody's on the moon, often for... for gathering sticks or stealing bushes, essentially. Oh, and Which, it's tying in with that idea, isn't it, of people making sense, because what they're trying to make sense of, isn't it, the markings on the moon. So you've got Galileo in 1608-09 for the first time really seeing these, um, what we call the seas now, or the craters. Hmm. And so even when we look at the moon, we see that um, we can imagine different things on it. But that's what they're doing. That's what all this stems from, this... Um, attempt to understand what it is that they're seeing in mm-hmm. why what these dark markings are yeah that was all. And, and i suppose there's a kind of a symbolic or maybe an older symbolic element as well that goes into a, into some of these descriptions but certainly the idea of when commonly when when like as i was growing up the man on the moon was just the general kind of face mm-hmm. that a person can imagine to see but commonly what was also imagined is that you see in the center in the heart of the moon and we'll play a quote from it is the a man standing there and on his back there's a big huge bundle of bushes and he has oh, yeah. a big stick with him and this is the man who was banished there, basically. For breaking the Sabbath. For, for breaking the Sabbath, to, yeah. So, the sticks. so you have this kind of biblical uh, uh, tradition. Then in Germanic tradition, in German folklore, this was absorbed. There was an old man who goes into the woods to gather sticks on a Sunday. He gathers up his bundle and slings it across his back and begins traipsing home. Um, but he meets uh, a man, basically, who, who chides him for, for working on the Sabbath and profaning the Sabbath, basically, and working on a Sunday and declaring that all men must then rest from their labours. 
to which this guy replies, it's Sunday on earth or Monday in heaven, it's all the same to me. And this, this uh, fellow is outraged by this and he banishes them to stand for all eternity on the moon as a warning to Sabbath breakers, basically. And another instance from German folk tradition says that the moon is populated by a husband and wife. And the husband stands in the moon with a bunch of brambles and thorns that he strewed across the church path in order to hinder people from attending mass on Sunday morning. And his wife stands there. She was duly banished because uh, she made butter on this day. Um, so she has her butter tub. But they both basically profane the Sabbath. And then there were North Frisian Germanic tribes. He told of a man on Christmas Eve who stole cabbages from his neighbor's garden. But he was spied by his neighbors as he was making off with his, his, uh, his, his load, basically. And his neighbors, as punishment, they conjured him up to the moon. And he now stands there uh, bearing his, these kind of stolen goods, basically. So the idea of the, kind of, of the moon as a thief is, is particularly uh, old, basically. Um, but in Irish tradition, we have a similar kind of ideas, basically, that, that there is these same notions have made their way across. Again, you can see the international kind of context of this sort of these, these traditions, where in Irish tradition, in Irish kind of folklore, uh, similarly, an individual is there for breaking a taboo. There's a piece here in our archive from the school's manuscript collection, and this is transcribed by a young fellow, Daniel Whelan, in County Carlow, who was in sixth class in 19, the year of 1937. Uh, who was um, engaged in, the, in the, the school's folklore collection, the manuscripts that we have here. And so he, was, uh, he describes this particular individual and local lore regarding the man in the moon. And he says, One Saturday evening, a woman told her husband to go to the forest to gather sticks because the next day was Sunday and he could not gather them. The man went to the wood and fished the whole day. And in the evening late, he came home without any sticks. His wife did not know because she was in bed. He got up early the next morning and went to gather sticks. When he had a good bundle, he, got, he put them on his back to start for home when he heard a voice calling him to leave down the sticks or else to carry them forever. He said that he had to bring them home to his wife to cook the dinner. Then the voice said, carry them forever. And immediately himself and the sticks went up in the air until they reached the moon. When he was in the moon, the voice said, you will stay here forever because you worked on a Sunday. That's typical. Just you ask a man to do one thing. Look at... <laughs> Yeah, it is. In fairness, he was f- and, and, and how he was fishing in a wood, perhaps there was a pond or a lake in the wood, but he was fishing in the wood, so I doubt, I doubt he caught much. But, um, you know, he should, he should, I, I blame his wife for some reason. <laughs> All right. Um, he, so he gets banished for the moon, and he stands there with his sticks. And now that you see him and, for And now you see it because, because you must not work on a Sunday. You cannot... You cannot uh, Profane the Sabbath, basically. And it's that idea of being visible to all. To all, as, held up as a bad example. As a moral, yes, isn't it? The exactly, moral yeah. element of the, the story. Um, this is then another piece from 1937, the school's collection in County Cork, and it describes the man on the moon being placed there as punishment again. It says, Sometimes there can be seen in the moon the shadow of a man and he having a bush on his shoulder. It is said that man stole a bush out of another's fence, and on account of that, God would not allow him into heaven. So he sent him up in the moon and he can be seen there still with his bush on his shoulder. This is a kind of common idea, basically, um, of the idea that the moon is kind of liminal space between heaven and hell, a kind of uh, purgatorial space, for want of a better word. Um, I'll play a very brief piece, as again, from the audio the archive here that describes the man on the moon bearing this kind of uh, load of bushes on his back. And he, that he comes down to take you away, away to kind of scare children. This is from uh, County Offaly. This was collected from uh, Willie Egan by the collector Jim Delaney in 1974, in which he describes the man on the moon. But what do you used to say about the man on the moon then? Well, then they tell you, of your out when the moon is shining real bright, look up there, there's a man in the moon or a big fork of bushes coming down to him you in in a corner and hold you until he brings you up. So, if you look up in the moon when it's real bright, yeah. you'll see something nearly like that in the heart of it. Well, they used to call that the man in the moon with a fork of bushes on his shoulder coming down to him you in. Also, they used to terrify the children longer. There you are, duly terrified. So he's coming down with a big fork of bushes to hem you in and take you away, basically. Keep, keep the kids in line. Keep the kids in line, yeah. But it's worth saying as well that we have a questionnaire here in the archive mm. from 1942, which is... Um, so interesting was we were seeing just how they decided to mm. send a questionnaire out in the man in the moon. But it's great that they did because we have this knowledge now yeah. that they actually had the foresight to ask about something like this. But one of the things, just for um, to give you an idea, we have a few kind of subtypes, don't we, within this idea of the man in the moon. Mm. So just to give you a very quick overview, 
we've got samples from, say, monsters. So um, it ties in with what you were saying, Johnny. A person's stealing a bush or gathering sticks on a Sunday. This idea of punishment for stealing or punishment for breaking the Sabbath. Mm. Then we've got in, say, Mayo and Donegal in the north and northwest, and we'll come to this. It's a person fetching water and they're being punished for disobedience. That's in Mayo as well. It is, it mm. is. And they're sent to the moon. Then we've got in Galway, interestingly enough, we've got a person wishing to go to the moon. Mm-hmm. So they actually want proactively to go and they ask um, God to send them. Then we've got one from West Mayo where someone actually curses the moon because they've tripped in the darkness. Terrible. And Absolutely. Why would you? And then as a punishment, they're sent. So we do see different kind of hmm. small subtypes um, and kind of redactions of this idea of being sent for punishment, but also you've got various being sent because you wish to go, hmm. being sent because someone else wishes you to go, being sent for um, punishment of theft or of disobedience. So it's so interesting within even just the island of Ireland, you've got this one overarching idea hmm. of person going to the moon but all these different um, colours and shades as to how it's interpreted in different counties yeah it it fits in with with, again the living nature of folk tradition Mm -hmm. where you see again if we're to look at the broader European and even Indo-European inheritance or or traditions regarding the moon uh, you'll see even the basic idea of its being inhabited Mm -hmm. that then as this kind of stable or fundamental idea that then finds all these varying expressions in place to place because it reflects its local uh, environment basically Mm -hmm. um but yeah, we have one of one of the the, the main manuscript collections. It's, uh, manuscripts is a questionnaire on on the man and the moon, and also interestingly tied up in that again for the the the, the kind of vision of these uh, of the the collectors and so on, and the folklore commission. There's a questionnaire in the same manuscript on the names of the fingers of the hand and little traditional names and nicknames for them and things like this, which is on, on pictures of hands How drawn. How would you even of, think? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I would, I'd never heard any of that at all. Um, but the the man and the moon is. In certain quarters, just known as the man in the moon, and then in other quarters is personified by a particular character yeah. who who um, undergoes certain trials or is kidnapped or wishes to go, as you described there. Um, in Kerry, there's Seanine Sigali, mm-hmm. and the people of Cork knew of Eamon the Gali, um, Eamon of the moon, which is also, for anyone who's in there, a, a, a term that was used to describe a useless man, ah. uh, which is a good one. And then in Donegal, Claire, in your neck of the woods, we hear tell of Donald Nagali. That's true. Um, and he was a young fellow who was swept up to the moon for having refused to fetch a pail of water for his mother. Uh, I saw one instance where um, the young lad is in the narrative and his mother asks him to go and get a pail of water and he's tired. He doesn't want to go out at night to do it. Um, and then it says that this horrible woman comes in and she... she it kind of demands that he, he go and get this water. And he goes out, and actually, I remember in this narrative, he, he in one of them, wishes to be up on the moon. In another one, he, he curses his mother or something like that, oh. and the moon sweeps him up um, with his pail of water, and he tries to hold on to the bushes nearby, but they get swept up with him as well. So now you can see him up on the moon with his bushes and the pail of water. So you had this motif of the bushes kind of up there, or the gathering of, of you know, there's all these kind of blending of different traditions, basically. Um but the idea, I suppose, that it's it's personified by a certain uh, individual, and again, that they're kind of the moon is like a thief or a kidnapper. But again, in the context of, the, of kind of research for doing this podcast, we found some particularly kind of interesting um, avenues and motifs that connect in. Again, it's hard to draw kind of clear lines of distinction with these things, or or, or clear lines that connecting these two two uh, motifs, but. The idea of the child who's swept away from the well and taken to the moon is, is a particularly interesting one that also features a Nordic mythology, uh, particularly in the prose edit attributed to Snorri Sturluson, the Icelandic poet and historian from the, from the 13th century. And in the prose edit, we read of the moon as personified as Mani, and he takes two children up from the earth, a sister and a brother, who are called Bill and Hyuki. And they were going to the well of Birgir, which means that this well means hider of something in the Old Norse. Mm. And they're carrying strewn across their, their shoulders this pole called Simul, which means eternal. And then from this pole is held this water pail, Seg, meaning effervescent juice, apparently. So you have this figure of this young boy and girl um, with this kind of wooden pole strewn across their shoulders and then the water pail between them. And then they were swept away. Uh, from the well up to the moon and then they follow Mani as may be seen from the earth that's the quote from, from the Edith and they carry their water pail and their staff and their bucket 
And so the idea then, I suppose, that you have this boy and girl who are, who are taken up to the moon and this motif of kind of water and, and even the connection of the moon and water is, mm. is kind of interesting. But there's a strange kind of interesting kind of overlap into something that many people will know here that I thought was quite I feel striking. There should be a drum roll here, Johnny. There should, and it's very bizarre. Well, that the origin of the word uh, has been derived from the, from the verb uh, yaka for hyuki, and and which means to heap up, heap or pile up, and bill, uh, the other character uh, from billa, meaning to break up or dissolve. So the name of the two character means one to heap or pile up, and one to break down or dissolve. These two figures then, the male and the female, represent or indicate the, the waxing and the waning of the moon, which again is kind of connected as a, as a kind of male and female thing. Uh, but then strange, even strangely, these figures of Yaka and, and Bill uh, are associated and have been connected with or viewed as Jack and Jill, who go in search of a pail of water. You know, Jack and Jill went up a hill Absolutely. to fetch a pail of water and once Jill fell down and broke her crown and... Jack fell down and broke his crown and Jill came tumbling after. after. That's right. And then something about uh, brown paper. I forget the last lines of the rhyme. There was something about wrapping his head in brown paper. Jeez, we did not but have this, that. But this, um, this idea of kind of Yaka and Bill and their water pail and being swept up away to the moon Christ. is something that, that was attributed by certain scholars as um, being, being taken to kind of represent these spirits but then becomes known as Jack and Jill basically in, 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 kind of, uh, in the English language tradition. Either way, the idea of the kind of the moon being inhabited by uh, by male and female figures mm. uh, is one that's particularly interesting, and and the idea then as well of pagan, this was non-Christian uh, approaches to the moon and its inhabitants that then have kind of Christian iconography and symbolism layered over them, yeah, and it then becomes a figure who broke a Sabbath, and you know later on. But the idea is is much older than that and separate to just Christian tradition. But these two things meld. But it's interesting that that figure with the 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 water pail exists in Irish tradition, but only in the upper kind of northwestern portion of the country, yeah. which is perhaps, might perhaps lend itself to some sort of uh, a claim for kind of Nordic influence. Well, in that's that it. Sense, it's like a very close geographic link, isn't it? Mm. Mm. It's fascinating. I hadn't realised until we started delving into it, really. No, right. It? Yeah, it really is. But I suppose overall it's just this idea of kind of the close impact, not just in the measurement of time, but the meaning that then is associated to the passage of that time and the meaning that's associated to the cycles and what's the particular essence of those cycles and what are the cycles within those cycles. And mm -hmm. how, how do we kind of understand these things and how do we act in best accordance with those cycles to, to bring about... Uh, the best results are be kind of in tune with the natural world or with the I don't know, universe at large, basically, to, to, to see that we're kind of not going against it or acting against it you know, in, in all of our affairs, basically. And it's universal, isn't it? Mm. Which might be the nice way to end the podcast before we go to the treat from the archive. So to draw the podcast to a close, it might be nice to finish on this quote from Max Muller, who was an early philologist, and he... In speaking about early legends and all these ideas that we've been looking at today, he says, though they may be pronounced childish and tedious by some critics, seem to me to glitter with the brightest dew of nature's own poetry and to contain those very touches that make us feel akin, not only with Homer or Shakespeare, but even with laps and fins. And what he's saying basically is by looking at these, we start to see a broader picture mm. of how we're all linked and united in our common fears mm -hmm. loves hopes dreams yeah it's part of this is our this is our cultural inheritance these are the the threads that run through the uh, the tapestry of the whole indeed but um we'll um finish this is a piece from from the archive from a fantastic singer uh, tom lennon from milltown malbay county clare and this is a song a type of song that was quite popular uh, mocking members of the opposite sex Oh, lovely. You didn't tell me about that, Johnny, before you chose it. You said it was a, a humorous... It's a humorous... That's it's, all it's you an, said. It's an entirely humorous uh, uh, song. But these, are quite, these are kind of common, for example, the idea of the young maid who marries the, the snivelling old man huh. or the young man who marries the old hag, basically. And this is in a, a version of the latter. So caveat emptor, buyer beware. Lovely. In this particular protagonist, he basically takes things too quickly and he fails to correctly... Uh, examine his partner essentially uh, and and he, having only observed her by the bright silvery light of the moon which is the, the title of the song um, he comes a cropper as we shall see and serves him right uh, well yes it does actually yes um, so I would suggest that you lock up your children stay out of the moonlight sow your crops and um, stay safe stay safe and essentially the new moon is coming engage yourself in some sort of new endeavour new endeavour yeah and good luck with it indeed 
It was down in Killalay in the merry month of May When the roses and the heather was in bloom A fair lady passed me by and she winked with her right eye By the bright silvery light of the moon Twas a case of love at sight but to us it was delight We got cuddled up together very soon we got married straight away in the church at Killalee by the bright silvery light of the moon but she squandered all my dough to our home we had to go oh what a place to spend the honeymoon with no fire in the grate only looking at the plate by the bright silvery light of the moon but when we went to bed it is then i got in dread for i knew that i was going far too soon for twas there upon a chair i see her golden hair by the bright silvery light of the moon but the worst was yet in store for when she began to snore she nearly pulled a blanket round the room and twas there upon a peg i see her wooden leg by the bright silvery light of the moon now young fellas if you meet a fair lady down the street try her well before you plan your honeymoon pull her leg and pull her hair and make sure that she's all there by the bright silvery light of the moon